Welcome to this GemTrain.org presentation, where you will be able to enjoy some wonderful free content that we sincerely hope will help you overcome the challenges of autism. Some content from this presentation is not included here, but the entire presentation is available on our website, GemTrain.org. My name's Heidi, I'm an occupational therapist. I received my master's degree from Midwestern University. Um, I've worked with kids with autism in multiple settings, both in schools and in outpatient. I've been working um, in autism clinics since receiving my degree. I got interested in working with autism. I, I had a few neighbors growing up that um, there were siblings of my friends that had autism and I just kind of seen little tidbits of it and I don't know maybe there was something that I saw myself a little bit in some of those kids little things that they would do that kind of resonated with me that I wanted to understand more what was going on and why they did things the way that they did and how we could help them just participate in life to the fullest that they could. And the more I got into it, the more I just fell in love with the kids. I fell in love with learning more about them and just seeing them bloom and develop. It's, it's really rewarding to work with them. We, I'll, I'll probably get into this a little more later, but um, kids play, that's what they do. You know, the rest of us have jobs and we have to pay bills. Kids are still learning about the world. They just play to, to learn about everything. and. The best way to help kids learn what they need to learn is to do it by playing with them. So we come and we, we have a great time. Children are learning about the world. They're learning how to interact with people. They're learning how to participate in activities like taking care of themselves. They're learning to cook. They're learning to dress. They're learning to follow a routine. Um, so with, with children, Kids who are coming in to get occupational therapy, they can have a really wide variety of needs. Some kids that come in, they're saying, well, my child can't do their own buttons, and it's it's because they're having a hard time using their hands just to do up their buttons. But some parents come and say, well, they can do up their buttons, but they're not willing to participate in dressing. So we, we take this wide variety of, of difficulties, and it usually comes down to they can't complete a task that they need to complete, or they can't play with their friends because they're hitting too much or they're too scared to talk when their friends are over. There's this whole variety of difficulties. And, and our job as therapists is to figure out what is the skill that's deficit? Is it because your hands aren't working quite right? Is it because you have anxiety? Is it because you have a sensory processing difficulty? So we're gonna take the child and evaluate them and look at what skill is having difficulties that's not allowing you to participate in that desired activity. And then we're gonna help you build that skill to be able to participate more independently. So as a parent, it might be difficult to know if your child needs occupational therapy. Particularly, I see a lot of parents that come in and it's their first child and they say, well, I don't know if they're supposed to do buttons yet because I, I don't have anyone to compare them to if this is a typical development. Um, so something that can be helpful is just if you notice your child is getting frustrated 
Like if every single day when you work on dressing with them and they're trying to get their clothes on, if they're just really frustrated easily, that can either be a sign that they're not able to learn the task that you're wanting them to learn and that they need additional help to be able to learn that task, or it can mean that they are having difficulty just participating in routines. So if they're getting really easily frustrated and consistently over time, if they don't seem to improve very quickly at a task that's frustrating to them, that can just be a sign that they need a little extra practice with some of those skills that an occupational therapist can help with. Um, it also, I, I think, is important to consider your family. As an adult, you know what kind of things you need to be getting done during the day. And if you're not able to do those things, if you're not able to prepare a meal for your family because you're helping one of your children with homework for five hours at a time every night because they can't sit and focus long enough, if you aren't able as a parent to do what you need to do, we can help your children be able to be more independent so you can also be more independent. Um, we, we take a, a lot of look at the whole family's routines um, because that, that matters, the family dynamic matters that everyone can participate together. So I'll be giving you some tips of things that you can do at home in those situations, some kind of quick things that you can do to try and help improve the situation, help learning improve, but then also just some recommendations for when to tell this isn't something that needs to be addressed at home. This is something that needs to be addressed in a clinic and kind of teasing out those different situations. The relationship between play and occupational therapy is that play is in itself actually a defined occupation. So in our field, we have what we call the areas of occupation. So this includes things like activities of daily living. And that would be the basics like dressing and feeding and brushing your teeth, things that take care of your body. We also define an area of occupation as the instrumental activities of daily, daily living. So that would be managing a budget, like making sure that you have money to buy food and feed yourself and making sure that you can get around the community. Um, we also look at sleep as, an, as a whole area of occupation and play and leisure is its own area of occupation. For kids and adults, leisure is an occupation and it matters. And we, we talk about burnout with adults if all you do is go to work and do your job, you're not gonna be very happy. You wanna come home and whether that leisure is spending time with your family or going for hikes or reading books, we all have these leisure activities that are very meaningful to us. And the same is true of kids and probably even more true with kids, that play is just such a central occupation for them that is essential to their development. So we, we care very much in our profession that kids are able to participate in play. That's how they're gonna learn about their world and that's how they're gonna develop skills that will help them be successful as an adult. I think the best part of being able to play with kids is just watching them completely open up. Um, we had, we've had so many kids come into this clinic that at first they get here and they just kind of sit and they don't really want anything to do with us. They maybe don't even want to make eye contact. And we just pull out some toys and we as therapists start playing. We don't even necessarily start playing with the child. And we just sit and play and all of a sudden the child's like, oh, these people are really nice and they're fun and they want to do exciting things. They're not going to just sit and make me write or sit and 
make me stay at this table for 10 minutes. They're fun, exciting people to be around. And then we just see them open up. And we've had parents many times say, oh, this is not how my child usually is when they first meet somebody. They're used to going into environments where adults aren't interacting with them in that play setting. And they come to the clinic and they come to therapy. And all of a sudden, we just see all of these skills that people didn't know that they had. Um, so it's, it's a really great opportunity to just get to know the child and understand what are their skills that they're not able to show people in other environments. And, and then we get to capitalize on that and help build those and generalize those into other areas of their life. In occupational therapy, we bring up this word independence all the time. And especially when we're writing goals for kids and we're talking about where do we want them to be at the end of therapy? We're often talking about they should be independent with this skill. We want them to be more independent in this area of their lives. And I think it's important to recognize, A, that children can be very independent. Sometimes we look at children with disabilities and we think, oh, they need help. They need help with everything. When these kids can build a lot of skills and be very independent, they may still need some support but let's, let's help them do the things that they can do completely on them, their own. Let them have that autonomy and that sense of self to be able to complete things. But I also think it's important, particularly for parents to recognize that independence looks different for every person and every family and every child. Um, the same way that in different cultures, it's more valued for like a senior citizen to be able to live totally on their own and to walk by themselves and to be able to use the bathroom on their own versus in some cultures, it's much more accepted that senior citizens should be taken care of. Their families should be with them and helping them with all those tasks. Independence looks different and that's the same in any family. Um, so any good occupational therapist out there is gonna be working with a family to make sure that it, it fits their family unit. Is it you feel like your child's independent when they can dress without your help at all? Or is it you feel like your child is independent if they can just do the buttons on their own and you're okay with helping with other things? And that, that's all something that, that it, it matters to us that we're working towards your goals, not just independence. <laughs> A lot of people don't recognize really how occupational therapy fits in with autism. It's maybe not a discipline that they're very familiar with in the field of autism. Something that may cue people in, a lot of people have heard the term sensory thrown around. So occupational therapists work a lot with sensory. So if that's something you're familiar with, we're the discipline that's working with that a lot. Um, but I think particularly with autism, part of the difficulty is that these children are just trying to function in a world that's not set up for the way that they're bodies and their brains function. They maybe don't even have what we could consider deficits, just differences. So we have this whole community system where it matters that you can make eye contact with people and it matters that you can vocalize your needs. And children with autism don't necessarily fit that mold. So part of occupational therapy is we're trained to look at every aspect of a client. That they're personal beliefs, their physical capabilities, their mental capabilities. We, we look at all of these pieces and say, how does this fit in the world? Um, so with autism in particular, where we get these kids that just don't 
have the same skills as other children, we can take a look at each of those skills and recognize what are their strengths and how can we make those strengths work for them in a world that's not currently working for them. Sensory needs absolutely get met in a play environment. That's why kids love playgrounds. <laughs> Every child has sensory needs. It's not like kids with autism have sensory needs and other kids have no sensory needs. Everybody has sensory needs. And we'll go a lot into what does sensory mean. Um, but, but every child is looking for sensory information and they get that by moving their bodies. That's how the sensory system works. So playgrounds and running and jumping and kicking soccer balls and splashing in the mud as much as you don't want the mud tracked through your house, those are the things that are giving kids sensory inputs both typically developing children and children with autism. So we get them in an environment where they want to play and they want to move around and they're gonna automatically be getting good input. We're here to help guide them to make sure they're getting the best out of those scenarios. Some of the specific areas that occupational therapy can help with, um, primarily we, we work on self-care. That's one of our big areas. Um, so anything that you can think of that involves taking care of yourself. I've talked a lot already about dressing. That's, that's a skill that seems to be a difficult one for a lot of kids that come in to see me. So I talk about it a lot. But it can also include brushing your teeth or combing your hair if a child is having a hard time manipulating a hairbrush, if they can't hold on to it very well or they can't get their hand angled the right way. Those are all things we can work on. Or working on feeding children with picky eating habits. We can help them tolerate new foods and be more okay with the whole feeding experience. Um, so any of those things that, that look like just taking care of yourself, we can help children build skills and tolerance for those kind of activities. We can also help with development of motor skills. So particularly fine motor skills, occupational therapy, um, dives a lot into what are the hand muscles doing and what kind of skills you need to manipulate your everyday environment. We don't tend to think about our hands, they just do what we want them to do. And for a lot of kids with autism, those motor skills haven't developed for a variety of reasons. They're, they're having a hard time using their hands the way they're supposed to be. And we may not notice that it's the hands, it may just look like Oh, they can never open this jar that I give them, or they're always spilling their food. You know, we, we, we tend to notice the deficits in the task when the problem is in the hands. So we can help assess what are the fine motor skills. We can look at, are they pinching their fingers? If your child is not pinching their fingers like this to pick up things, then that can be an indication that they're having motor difficulties in their hands that could affect a lot of different skills. And then we can also look at gross motor skills. So that's, that's the big motor movements of the body. When you think of running, walking, jumping, skipping, all of those things that include the whole body. And even as basic as just posture. If your child can sit up on their own or if they're always like flopping in their chair, that can, that can really be a hindrance to participating in activities. It's so subconscious for so many of us. Um, but those are all skills that can be really affected um, for children with autism that we can help to assess what the skills are. We can help give tools to improve those skills. And then we can, 
we can help to assess if they are improving as, as they work on those exercises or activities. The word sensory is thrown around the autism world a lot. Um, it seems to be a really big component of what's going on with autism research, but I think a lot of people have no idea what we mean when we're talking about sensory. So I wanna give just an overview of what is the sensory system and what are we talking about when we say sensory processing or sensory processing disorder. Um, so to start with, uh, just what is the sensory system? It's, a, it's part of the nervous system. So our, our nervous system is just a message delivery system within our bodies. It's helping things get from our brains to the end of our toes and make sure that we're doing the things that we need to be doing and that all of the messages are getting through to our brains. So when we talk about motor skills, that's messages going from the brain out to the body. When we talk about sensory, that's messages coming from the body back up to the brain. So if we talk about sensory skills with a child, what we really mean is how is their brain getting information? That's really what sensory information is. Um, your brain is just sitting inside of your skull. It doesn't actually interact with the world. So everything that your brain knows, it learned through sensation. Um, there's there's the, the five pretty common senses you know, touch and smell and taste and sight and hearing. But we also have body sensation um, that, that comes from inside our body, internal sensation. So we, we talk about proprioception and that's information that's coming from your joints and coming from your muscles and telling your body what position it is. Um, so if you think about, if you closed your eyes and someone moved your arm maybe out to the side, you could say, my arm's out to the side right now. You wouldn't have to look to know that your arm was up or down or bent or straight. Your brain has sensory information to tell it what your body is doing. That's proprioception. We also talk about vestibular sensation. That's coming from the inner ear. We have some small little canals in our inner ear. I like to think of them like hula hoops with water in them. When your head moves, the water inside the hula hoop starts moving and that's going to tell your brain information about am I spinning, am I moving forward and backwards, is it up and down. That's telling your body what, what am I doing in space. Am I sitting still or am I moving? That's what vestibular sensation is. And then we talk about interoception. That's all the interior sensations of the body. So when you think about that you're hungry and you can feel that in your stomach, that's interoception. All of those kind of gut and bodily sensations that we have are interoception. So our brain relies on all of that information to know what's going on in the world. That's like the roadmap for what you're supposed to be doing. If your brain's not getting the accurate information, then it has no idea how to respond to the environment. And that's what we see a lot with kids with autism, is we see these behaviors that are not expected. We say, oh, everyone else in the room is not having a meltdown right now, but this child is having a meltdown right now. Why is that? Well, if you think about what our brain is getting as far as information. If I'm sitting here and I can see that a teacher is talking and I can hear the teacher talking and I can tell that everyone else in the class is being quiet, my brain says, oh, okay, I'm sitting in class. It's time to be quiet. That's the action I'm gonna take. 
but maybe if my brain's not getting the right signals, maybe it's not noticing that the teacher is talking. It can maybe hear some sounds, but it's not saying, oh, that's a teacher talking. Now it's time to be quiet. So then I'm just really confused about why everyone in the class is being really quiet. And I wanna play, and I don't have anything to tell me that it's not an appropriate time to play. So that's kind of how the sensory system works to guide our actions, and why when we have sensory difficulties, our actions don't necessarily match what's expected. We hope you're enjoying this presentation. At any time, we invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum. So our brain learns through the senses um, based on a feedback cycle. So my, my favorite example is if you were at a ballpark, you see a ball coming at your face. So you get an initial sensation. And that is, I see a ball, it's coming at my face. Well, then your brain has to interpret that information. So my brain would probably interpret that as, that's gonna hurt and you're in danger right now, you need to do something. So my next step is I'm gonna take an action. So I've had sensation, I've interpreted the sensation, I have to take an action. My action is probably gonna be to duck because I know I can't catch a ball to save my life. So I'm gonna duck really fast. Well, then the feedback I get is, oh, I didn't get hit in the face. That was a successful action. Or maybe I didn't duck fast enough and I did get hit in the face. I get this really painful feedback that says that action was not a successful action. So we, we think about learning as being kind of a classroom type thing. We learn information, but our brain learns movement and information and social skills all the same way. It doesn't necessarily know the difference in how to learn those things. So when we get a sensation, our brain always has to interpret what does this mean? And then we're always gonna be taking an action. So when we think about um, kids who are not taking appropriate actions, a lot of times it's because their brain's not interpreting that information either correctly or it's not interpreting it fast enough to be able to take the appropriate actions. And then if their sensory system is having difficulty, they may never get the feedback that that wasn't a successful action. And so we just have a breakdown in this learning process, whether it's they're not learning a social skill, they're not learning that it's not okay to hit, or whether it's they can't figure out how to jump with two feet off the ground. It's the same nervous system learning process that's breaking down for them. So this learning cycle is how we're, we're getting information to our brain, um, but your brain's taking in a lot of information all at the same time from all of the sensory systems. So you can see and hear and touch and taste and smell and get information from your body all the time that may not be relevant. So I might be in a cafeteria and there's hundreds of people talking. Well, my brain doesn't care what they're talking about because I'm not part of their conversations. My brain cares about when someone walks up and says my name, that matters. That's an important sensation. So not only does our brain have to interpret sensations correctly, it also has to filter sensations correctly. We have to say, 
I can ignore this, I need to pay attention to this. And that's what we see with a lot of kids with sensory processing difficulties. And the thing that we probably talk about the most is this inability to filter correctly. We call it sensory modulation. So that's um, when we talk about, oh, they're tactilely defensive or they're oversensitive to this thing. That's what we're talking about, that their, their brain is not able to correctly filter out and pay attention to the correct sensations. They're maybe oversensitive or undersensitive. When we see the kids that are oversensitive, that's a lot of the kids who are having meltdowns really easily. They're maybe covering their ears. They hate the lights to be on. They hate it when you touch them or when their clothing touches them or when they have to touch anything messy. Those are all examples of oversensitivity to sensory information. And it means their brain isn't able to block out all of that information coming in. And so they just get overwhelmed because it's too much to pay attention to. Then you see our kids that are under responsive or they're not sensitive enough. They're the kids that you say their name like 10 times in a row before they're, they say, oh, you're talking to me. Or you maybe repeat their name 10 times and they never look at you because their brain is not able to say that's an important sensation. It's just paying attention to everything all at the same time. So a, a child with autism can get very easily overwhelmed. They are taking in this whole floodgate of sensory information and they don't know what to do with it. And I, I like to compare it to like when you have a headache. All of us have times when our sensory system is not working correctly. So I always like to, if, I, if I'm trying to figure out what a child is doing, I think, when is that most like this time in my life? What, what in my life relates to this? So when I think of kids that are getting overwhelmed by sensation, I think of when I have a headache. I don't want anyone to talk to me. I want the lights off. I just want to curl up under a blanket and just be completely isolated. And even the smallest little noise can be overwhelming and it makes your head hurt. So I don't think by any means that children with autism have headaches all the time, but they're more easily in that state where even a small sensation can seem very big and be very overwhelming. Or I think about with our kids who are under responsive, I think about when I first wake up in the morning, how my body feels. You know, you wanna, you wanna do a big stretch and you just like need a little time to get going. Maybe you're a coffee drinker, maybe you're a morning yoga person. We take a little time to amp up our bodies and to get going for the day. But some of our kids with autism feel like that all day long. And they need, that's why they're running and crashing into things because they need their morning yoga all day long and they don't know how to get what they need. So they just go crazy. So a, a lot of these things that kids with autism are doing, it's not just random movement, they're fulfilling a need. And I, I like to think about, well, have I ever done anything like that? It may not be as extreme as what they're doing. It may not be as frequently as what they're doing, but I'd say at least 90% of the time, we've all done something similar that we can relate to. And when we can kind of make that click, we say, oh, that's the need they have. Then we know how to move forward and help them. Something else that can be also really helpful is just let the child be involved in the process. Um, they know their bodies, they're acting because they need certain things for their bodies. So if your child is verbal enough and um, social enough to be able to have a conversation with you about how does this make your body feel? 
have those conversations. And if you give them the weighted blanket or the body sock or put them in a swing and they don't seem to like it, help them identify, why don't you like that? And if they say, oh, well, it makes me feel dizzy or maybe it's scratchy to have that on my skin. Well, if we know that it's scratchy on their skin, we can find something else that is similar, but not scratchy. You know, let, let your children be involved in that process. Um, and every single child with autism is different. And no child with sensory needs looks the same. And it can be, maybe your child is sensitive in one area and under-responsive in another area. So maybe they're seeking one input, they're avoiding another input. We have all of these different possibilities with sensory systems. So um, just consider all of your child at the same time and let them be involved as much as possible. And then if you find that they're having a hard time being involved and they can't explain to you what they do and don't like about things, they're probably having a hard time recognizing body sensations and emotions and putting all that together to understand their needs. And so then we can work on, let's have conversations about what does my body feel like when I'm angry? And what does my body feel like when I'm sad? And what does my body feel like when I'm happy? Help them when they're happy, label it for them and say, oh, you're happy. How does your body feel right now? And, and let them learn to pay attention and be involved in that process of getting their needs met. One thing that can be very helpful if you decide that you do want to pursue actual occupational therapy is if you come in and you've made a list with your child of these are things that I like, these are things that I don't like, let your therapist know what works for your child. And if your child's not verbal or not able to participate in creating that, you know your child too, and you know them better than a therapist is ever gonna know them. So your insight is invaluable in being able to, to piece together what's gonna help this child the most. So I, I sometimes, with the, the littler kids, I like to make like a toolbox for them um, that they can you know, put things inside and say, oh, this tool helps me feel good. And that's the swing. They love the swing. It makes them feel good. Help them identify this is a tool for me. Um, and, and bring that with you to therapy and help your occupational therapist understand what's going on. And then one other thing I always suggest to parents is just give your kids a little extra time to process. Particularly with autism, so many of them have sensory processing difficulties. Sometimes they just need extra time to understand what you want from them and what you're trying to say and what the end goal of their task is. So if you say, hey, go do the dishes and they don't do it right away, don't repeat it 10 times right in a row. Say, go do the dishes and give them 30 seconds and see what they do. Well, if they still don't get it, okay, maybe we can help them a little more. But just extend that time to let their brain wrap around what's happening and see if you can just give them more space to work. And then sometimes kids really open up and they say, oh, mom said to go do the dishes. And they go do the dishes. And instead of being frustrated that you asked them 10 times and they don't know what you want from them, they had this successful moment to feel like they could follow mom's directions and they did what they were supposed to be doing and mom was happy with them and that can be really empowering to kids. Occupational therapy really involves the whole family. So parents often kind of wonder what, what is my role? 
So if you're coming to say like a clinic, well, this is not what your house looks like. And it's not the place where your child is doing their occupations. So what we really need from the parents is to come and learn. And we say, I'm doing this activity because your child is having a hard time using two hands together. So that's why we're playing with Legos today. So then we maybe suggest something like, find a toy at home that they enjoy playing with, that they have to line up pieces similar to Legos. Maybe it's Legos, maybe it's a different game, but set aside some time every day to work on that task. So if your therapist isn't giving you that information, ask for it. Always be asking, what can I do at home to work on this skill? And if you're not really sure what kind of activities you have at home, say that. Say, I don't know if we have a toy that works on that skill. And then the therapist can kind of talk you through it. Um, but certainly if, if it's not making a difference at home, then it's not really making a difference. You know, kids can come and perform well all they want at a clinic, but it doesn't matter if they still can't do what they need to do when they go home at the end of the day. Um, so we always appreciate feedback about, oh, we tried that, it didn't really work, or, oh, they loved that, it was so great. Tell us what's going on, tell us if there's changes in how they're performing, and, and keep us informed about how your child is doing, and then just ask all of the questions that you can think of so that we can give you all of the tools that you feel like you need. Um, we're almost as much therapist for the parents as we are for the children of giving the parents tools to know how to help their child build those skills. I just really love working with kids with autism. It's really become my passion. Um, every time I've considered taking another route with occupational therapy, trying something else, I, I dip my toe in somewhere else and it's just, it is not the same. And I, I always come back to working with autism because um, I, I find it so exciting just to get to know these kids. Kids who so often what people see of them is the meltdown that they had at the grocery store or the time that they hit their friend while they were playing. You know, so many people just see the behaviors and they don't ever get a chance to see the kid. Um, and, and these are some really, really fun, special kids. Um, and I, I love just getting the chance to get to know them. And, and we get to come in and work with parents and we see the cute things that your child does and we see the fun things and the development. We, we get to be part of that, that special moment when your child does something that they've never done before. Um, and, and I think the world needs to see more of that with kids with autism. They need to see the people behind the diagnosis. Um, and, and I hope that that's what I'm doing as an occupational therapist. I hope that I'm giving families the tools to be able to be with their child, not to be able to treat autism, but to just be a family and be with their child and, and notice all of the great skills that their child has and, and, and enjoy all those fun moments as a family because I think every child is just so special and so fun. And they just, they light up my life. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. We now invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish 
as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.